today we're reading two passages from the Bible, first of which Psalm 142, and then 1 Samuel 22, 1-2. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is conserved for me, concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord, and say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Then the second, first Samuel 22. David left Garth and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Where his brothers and when his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About four hundred men were there with him. I was muted. (laughs) So desperate times calls for desperate prayers. Such was the 2019 and 2020 fire season in Australia. This particular fire season was traumatic and surreal for many Australians. With literally hundreds of fires burning across every state and territory. I've just got a picture there uh, that basically shows Australia on fire during that summer. Dubbed a black summer by some, it was estimated that the fires burned something like over 18 million hectares of land, claiming lives, livestock and homes. The fires were particularly isolating for some, including the small town of Malacuda 
on the tip of Victoria. At risk of having the fires burn through the town, people had to retreat towards the beach. Facing uh, a moving firewall that was over 18 metres high and travelling at 90 kilometres an hour, townsperson David Jefferson, uh, Jeffrey sorry, reported that he was driven to desperate prayer. In his own words, we were going to die. If the Lord hadn't answered the next prayer, we would have had 30 seconds. Him along with those with him prayed that God might push back the flames. Shortly after, a change of wind direction occurred that caused the fires to be halted in their tracks before David, along with the town, were consumed. Personally, I remember many churches and Christians during that whole summer period as well who were driven to prayer, asking God to intervene and have mercy. In a similar way, I wonder if you today have ever been driven to desperate prayer when trouble has struck, or need, or felt the need to pray, but just didn't know how to. Could have been during some personal crisis that you've faced, or maybe during this COVID situation that has been occurring ever since those fires, that has brought you to desperation. Perhaps even today, you find yourself here with that feeling of desperate prayer, being in the midst of some storm or hardship. So when trouble does strike, how are we to pray? And how does prayer even help in such situations? In our psalm today, we have the opportunity to learn from King David and from his prayers, who himself found himself in dire straits, feeling isolated and cut off from the support of others. And so the prayer before us is David's own cry to God in his moment of desperation. As we consider this psalm this morning, this short psalm, 142, what I first want to explore with you for a few minutes is this cry of complaint that we see throughout this psalm as he prays this desperate prayer, this cry of complaint what we learn from David is really the importance of pouring out our heart to God in open, raw and frank prayers. Over the past few weeks, uh, we've been exploring King David's life in our little mini-series, loose series, A Heart After God's Heart. Exploring some of the key events of David's life from the book of 1 Samuel. A couple of weeks ago, we explored from 1 Samuel 24... Uh, how David hid in a cave and how he spared Saul's life in that moment. How we saw David have extraordinary resolve to withhold his hand from Saul. Despite these external heroic actions of David, this doesn't actually mean everything was hunky-dory for him on the inside. (laughs) Actually, rather, quite the opposite. Such a period of time for David was one of his lowest points in his life. A time of internal internal turmoil and loneliness, as revealed by the psalm before us, who in in the first line, the heading, it says that he he said this in in the cave, this prayer. Uh, Likely penned around 1 Samuel 22, a couple chapters before 
that other chapter I just mentioned, David is in yet another cave here, the cave of Adullam. And here in Psalm 142, it gives us a sneak peek into David's heart when he's in that particular cave. While he was all alone and isolated, uh, I thought of a bit like self-isolation, anyone? <laughs> what, we learn, what do we learn then from his complaint? Well, firstly, we learn that it was loud and audible. Verse 1 says, it says, with, a, with my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. Uh, the Hebrew word here in verse 1 for cry out or cry loud is significant. It's a word that occurs only five times in the book of Psalms, the whole, all the Psalms, two of which are in this psalm before us. And it really conveys the idea of crying out in acute distress and seeking deliverance. I mean, this is a real cry. I mean, if you imagine being a cockroach for a moment in that cave, listening to David's cry uh, bellowing through the cave. As I consider that uh, cry from David, I really think that this prayer, this cry, presents a real challenge for us. It's true that many cultures uh, express their emotion in different ways. Uh, some let the emotional floodgates flow more readily, readily than others. Aussie culture, though, tends to be more reserved. Nah, mate, she'll be right. The same can be true of churches, particularly in reform churches, at least historically, have tended to be more formal and less expressive in that way. And I admit that I myself don't find this something that comes naturally. But what this psalm does is it gives us permission to at least sometimes put everything on the table, as it were, to verbally pour out your heart to God. Secondly, notice about David's complaint is just that. It's a complaint. In verse 2, he says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. In verse 4, he says, Look to the right and see. There is no, none who take notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. In verse 6, he says, Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. I mean, David is feeling rock bottom here. Chased by his enemy's soul, with no one around him to comfort him. It's a pretty sucky situation. As I reflect on the past few years of COVID, if this experience has kind of taught us anything, it's, I think it's safe to say as a people, we generally don't find ourselves well equipped to deal with suffering. The prevailing cultural attitude seems to be essentially put on a brave face, stay upbeat, and adopt a positive attitude. In many ways, this kind of thinking creeps into the church too, with whole branches of Christianity sold on the idea that if only I have enough faith, God will heal you and won't allow you to suffer. Just have more faith and life will go well with you. But we actually see the exact opposite occurring in our psalm. Life is not going well for David. 
And what's more, God in his word gives us permission to express that reality openly to God. Warts and all. To express how you're really feeling. Why is this? Because thirdly, we see that David's complaint is grounded in this pre-existing relationship with his God. Twice in verse 1, David cries out to the Lord. In verse 2, he prays before God. In this way, David teaches us that our relationship with God is similar to a lot of other relationships we might have. If you picture a marriage for a moment, a marriage won't flourish unless both partners commit to sharing their hearts openly with each other and providing each other with a listening ear. In a similar way, deep friendships can't be fostered unless we learn to show some vulnerability with the other person. Unlike these human relationships though, what's wonderful about God is his shoulders are infinitely broad. He can handle all our complaints with the best listening ear that anyone can provide, no matter how much of a complainer you might be. And I've met a few complainers in my life and I've been one of those complainers before. A sign that our relationship with God is strong then is a willingness to come to Him, even in and perhaps especially in our moment of distress. And so for you this morning, are you willing to come to God and pour out your heart to Him in your time of need, whatever that need might be? God's Word invites us to do that. God even gives us the words to do that in the psalm here and other psalms like it. If we don't know how to, open up the Psalms and allow that to be your prayer. So that's David's cry of complaint that we see here. Next, let's consider his cry of confidence that comes through in this Psalm. Throughout this Psalm, there are really three expressions of confidence that we see. The first comes in verse 3, when David exclaims there, When my spirit faints within me, you know my way, speaking to God. Uh, the idea of way here is the, way of, is the idea of way out. God is my way out, cries David. It's like feeling trapped in a garden or hedge maze and suddenly remembering the direction to get out. I mean, how, how though can David express such confidence? Well, from personal experience, uh, David knew God to be someone who was in the business of saving his people, of delivering his people. Whether it was David's defeat over Goliath, or from wild beasts, bears and, and lions, or even from Saul himself, time and time again, God saved David. Furthermore, God had already uh, promised David that he would be Israel's next king. David had to learn time and time again to press into God deeply in his strength and his promises rather than in his own strength. In a similar way for us today, God is also our way out. Like David, all those citizens of Malakuta, you may experience deliverance here and now from some earthly concern or trouble. Uh, I, I knew of one man who was diagnosed uh, with cancer, 
and giving, given only a few months to live. And yet, although he did eventually succumb to the illness, against all the odds, God graciously gave him another five or six years to live. I know yet another person, one of my pastors growing up, he had skin cancer on, on his face. He tried all the medical treatments that he could, nothing seemed to work. But one day, upon going to the doctor, the sickness had suddenly, for no apparent reason, disappeared. And he had credited that to God and hearing his desperate prayers. So in that sense, it is right to have faith that God can deliver us here and now. I think in, in desperate times, it is easy to doubt God. Can God actually heal me? Can he, we might think? Or perhaps we fluctuate between belief and doubt, a bit like that, the father of that sick, sick boy in Mark 8 that exclaimed, I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, do you believe that God can deliver you if he chooses to do so? That he listens to your desperate prayers and cries for help? But it's also true that God, in his infinite wisdom, also may choose not to grant us deliverance from some present earthly hardship or trouble. I knew of another person who was diagnosed with leukemia, who was not healed of it, despite all the church community's desperate prayers to God. The church community prayed and prayed, but God's answer was a resounding no. And soon after, in the months to come, he did pass away. Yet God certainly used that experience to sharpen, test, and deepen the faith of that whole church community. Just because God sometimes says no for us now, it doesn't mean God isn't intently listening to us in our moment of need. Nor does it mean he won't grant us any kind of deliverance. For through such prayers, God so often grants us this eternal, internal deliverance from the anxiety and depression and turmoil that we may be feeling completely overwhelmed with. The second expression of confidence comes in verse 6, where David there cries out and says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. I mean, this is significant because David here shows us that we don't only pour out our complaints to God, but we actually cry out and proclaim truth as we pray to God, a truth that he has given already to us. What truth is being proclaimed here? Well, it's that where no earthly refuge can comfort David, God was David's true refuge and portion. Excuse me. God was David's true treasure that could never be taken away despite him feeling utterly abandoned from, from fellow people. When hardship comes our way, God often uses these things to test and grow us. When earthly treasures are robbed from us, we quickly find out what earthly comforts and idols we may have been holding on to too tightly. And yet, so many Christians have professed over the years loudly and boldly that it's been their very moment of need that has drawn them so close to God. That they experience God and His magnificent grace in a profound way. 
I wonder if this has been true for you. Knowing the feeling that God is holding you in his loving hand and, and caring hand as you walk through that shadow of death and the world seems to collapse around you. Such opportunities provide us opportunities to grow the most, to spark a greater and deeper love for God in our hearts, to truly know God as your refuge, portion, and strength. Christianity then offers a profound view of suffering. When suffering, even the worst kind, can be used as a means of, that God uses to reveal His mercy and grace and His presence to us to all who call upon his name and cry out to him. So what are your desperate prayers filled with? Are they only complaints? They need to be complaints, but are they only complaints? Or do you profess confidence too? As you remind your own heart about who God is and how he is your true refuge. The third and last expression of confidence is found in the last verse. There David uh, hopes for a time to be surrounded by the righteous. God's people who will comfort him and rid him of his isolation. For us today, God has gifted us with the local church. Fellow believers to support each other in our own faith journeys. A gift that pours out over into eternity. A time when there won't be any more loneliness, isolation or desperate prayers as we really have the communion of saints in its fullness. This point then brings us to our last point that we'll explore today. So far we've seen these two cries from David, this cry out of complaint and this cry out of confidence. But if we kind of ask ourselves, can we actually do this for ourselves? How do we pluck up the courage to to pray these epic prayers like David? What gives us the strength to truly face sufferings and times of desperation? So this brings us to the last cry that we explore today, this cry of Christ. In many ways, David in this psalm points and prefigures Jesus himself through the words of this psalm and the feelings of abandonment that Jesus felt to save us from our sorrow and grief. On the cross, Jesus was the biggest loner and outcast, feeling abandoned by both people and God himself. As declared in Isaiah 53 verses 3 to 6, there it describes, it says, uh, speaking of Jesus, who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom God, uh, men hid their face, for their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned and everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On the cross, Jesus bore the sins of the world by suffering the just penalty of God's wrath against sin. 
and in this way causing him to feel the ultimate abandonment. I mean, we know that Jesus felt felt the weight, the true weight of what he was experiencing. When he cried out on the cross, words from another psalm, Psalm 22, when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But death couldn't overcome him. Three days later, Jesus rose again, securing the love of the Father for all of God's people who have faith and believe in him. Just like those loners and outcasts and those in distress who soon came to David in that cave and gathered around him, we too are to come to Jesus in prayerful faith and repentance, coming to him in our need, recognizing our need, our lowly state in our sin and our distress and our great need, humbly coming to him and saying, God, will you help me? In our desperation, it's so often true that uh, we most recognize our need then for forgiveness. We most then recognize our true lowly state before God and our need for Him and His salvation. Often God needs to take us to the end of ourselves before we can truly lean on Him and turn to Him. Cries, cry, Christ's cry on the cross then gives us confidence that if we believe in Jesus, we are accepted by Jesus, by God, reconciled to God in loving relationship, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we are never truly alone. Knowing Christ is our refuge, our escape, having saved us from God's wrath against sin. Now there's some wonderful words that we've said before in John 14. There Jesus promises to be an ever-present help to his followers in difficult times, in all times, where he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But the cross not only gives us confidence in knowing God's love now and his acceptance and his comfort and peace in in life circumstances, The cross also promises an eternal life for all believers. Knowing that even if God's answer is no from some earthly trouble here and now, ultimately his answer is yes when we consider the bigger picture and the life to come. When we enjoy communion with all Christians and we gather around Christ our King in the new heaven and new earth. In Revelation 21, Uh, we get this wonderful glimpse of this joy of this future state that we have. There it pictures this heavenly city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven above. It reads there from verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Isn't that a glorious promise? So for you, when trouble and the firestorm rages... Will you cry out to God? 
Will you cry out in complaint to him, knowing that God really hears you and he meets you in your time of need? Will you cry out in confidence, declaring and speaking God's promises and truth, holding firmly on biblical promises and the promise of life and the life to come and his presence with you now? Will you dwell on Christ's cry for you? Reflecting on how he died on the cross and experienced that dire anguish and abandonment all to save sinners like you and me and save us from our abandonment and sorrow. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, sometimes desperate times come our way that are overwhelming, are difficult. And Father, in these times, we find ourselves in desperate need, clinging on, trying to find comfort wherever we can. Father, I pray in those moments, would you graciously draw us to yourself? Will you help us to cry out to you? Will you help us to complain and, and be honest with you? knowing that your loving ear is so open to hearing our prayers, so willing to, to listen to us and, and, and respond to us and, and really hear us out exactly how we're feeling. And I pray, Father, that you would give us the courage to do that. Father, I pray that in doing so, we might also find confidence in you, holding on to the promises of Scripture, knowing that you have conquered death through your Son, Jesus, knowing that you are with us, even if it doesn't always feel that way or if other people have abandoned us, that you are with us now in all our struggles. Father, help us to, and deliver us. We know you can deliver us now. And we thank you for those times that you do deliver us in these temporal ways, in, in, in little deliverances along the way. But Father, we thank you for the ultimate deliverance, the del- deliverance from, from experiencing uh, your displeasure, your wrath against us. Thank you that you delivered us from your sin and that you granted us eternal life. And I pray, Father, that we would hold on firm to that uh, in all situations and, and come out of that singing your praises and glory with great joy. We pray this in your name. Amen.